John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 209.LV2113, certificate number 49406, Chastity Belts. Consider this foreplay. A chastity belt? Oh, that's going to chafe my willy. In 1972, a California psychiatrist named Dr. David R. Rubin published his book, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, asterisk, asterisk, but were afraid to ask. I remember this book quite well. Oh, no, 69, actually. He published it very appropriately in 1969. <laughs> but uh, I, I said 72 because... Uh, That's I, when you first saw it? No, you weren't <laughs> born in 72. Apparently, the, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't be here without it. Oh. The 19, in the around then, a young Woody Allen saw Ruben interviewed on a chat show and thought, "This book's a bestseller. I should option it into a sketch comedy movie." Right. Which he then have you seen Woody's uh, version of yes. everything you always wanted to know about sex asterisk asterisk but were afraid to ask <laughs> <laughs> but were afraid to asterisk. Yes, I uh, I saw all the Woody Allen movies back when uh, when back that when was, that was allowed. Well, at least it was uncomplicated. I mean, it was complicated by the fact that you had to be a certain type of young person to go watch Woody Allen movies from but 20 you, years But you would before. have a wistful feeling about uh, Manhattan, yep. whether, whether you'd ever lived there or not. That's and right. you would have the self-congratulatory feeling of laughing loudly at jokes about Sartre or Germaine <laughs> uh, Greer or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, you could just feel good about yourself. You could really ruin a high school party by popping in... Uh, uh, a Woody Allen movie at a certain point, in, at least in my life. Uh, this was one of the earlier, funnier ones. It, he uh, Well, but you're a very punny person, and he, he likes a pun, too. There's uh, a, yeah, I guess maybe in the early movies. Yeah, the early movies, for sure. He, um, I mean, th this book is not... Woody paid $2 million for the rights to this book and then basically just used the title. Right. I mean, he got a good deal. That's what, a 13-word title or something? $2 million so, in 1970 dollars. Exactly. How many words is this? Let's count, not count the asterisk. Oh, it is 13. Good job, me. So he's paying, <laughs> <laughs> he's paying well over $100,000 a word. Right. He's paying $130,000 a word or something. It's a great title, though, and it does, uh, it does, I don't know, it, it, uh, it's kind of like, I'm okay, you're okay. It came to stand in for a whole era 
a whole yes. mindset. About, about body honesty and yeah. sexual frankness and candor and how that enriches a relationship. Right. But um, also it's titillating. You know, it's, right. it's also it's like also, naughty. Yes. Yeah. The, it's, not, uh, it's not kind of the clinical hairy people in our bodies ourselves. Right. Uh, this is because the book is just a, you, know, you can't adapt a, a sex handbook, a self help book. book to the screen, and is it a great title? It's a very long title. Can you imagine going up to the box office and buying a ticket to everything you always wanted to know about sex? Asterisk, open parentheses, asterisk, but we're afraid to ask. Close parentheses. But the the title is. I mean, I, I think what makes it great is that it is uh, there. There's an ironic uh, cast to it, suggesting that. Um, if you're sophisticated enough to go to this movie, you probably already know this stuff and it's going to be, and you're going to have a, it's going to be a romp, right? Yes. You're going to, it's going to be the playboy jokes page. R- exactly. Exactly. It's little, uh, Our little Annie Fanny. Dictionary. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a 90 minute little Annie Fanny movie. What, what he did is he took the, he took different chapters from the book, different ideas from the book and expanded them into comedy sketches. You know, if, if there's a, a section in the book about, bestiality, which is weird, but I guess there is. I don't, yes. know, I don't know why you would... I can see why you'd be afraid to ask. Everything. <laughs> everything you wanted to know about sex. Yeah, I guess the title does say everything. Yeah. He could be slammed with a truth in advertising lawsuit if he doesn't put in bestiality. So there's a sketch in the movie that does not include any of Dr. Rubin's material about the history of bestiality, but it has Gene Wilder um, in, in, a, in a beautiful romance with a sheep. Yes. Um, there is a section of the book that refers to chastity belts, the, mm-hmm. the medieval idea of what Dr. Rubin calls an armored bikini, basically. Uh, and chastity belts, the concept is, it, 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 it's a thing. And I'm sure this is still true. When the concept, when you first, when you first consider a chastity belt, consider the chastity belt. It's got to be sometime in junior high, right? Before junior high, you're not going to even you wouldn't understand even what we were talking Are about. Are you saying every junior high uh, boy conceives of it on their own and thinks they've invented it? No, but I'm sure every junior high child is introduced to the idea because junior mm-hmm. highs are where all of this this type of stuff gets into the culture, the cultural right? soup. Some kid in junior high goes, have you ever heard of a chastity belt? And then you you feel stupid for not having heard of it, but you pretend you have. There was no Google. You just have to, you just had to nod and hope there was no follow-up like, question. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's why, that's why people are so messed up because there are junior highs, which is why I believe they should be abolished. They're, uh, they're better now, at no. least. No, Yeah, no, they are. No, those kids should be sequestered. The kids are not better. No. But the... the uh, How are junior highs better? I guess it's not Lord of the Flies like it was when I was in junior high. It's just the 21 Jump Street thing. Kind of the oppressive wokeness of the culture means that uh, these kids do not get, uh, you know, the crudest sexual insults told about them, the worst kind of homophobia. (laughs) Right. Maybe I'm revealing too much about my own junior (laughs) high experience. (laughs) I mean, they get... uh, They're indoctrinated in the anti-bullying... which, which you're skeptical Theosophy. of. Theosophy. Which you're skeptical of because you think it just represses it, right? <laughs> well, or yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like if you put jello in your hands and you squeeze your hands really tight, it's, the jello doesn't compress. It just comes out through the little cracks it's in like your hands. It's like Superman squeezing a coal into a diamond. Into a diamond. If you repress the bullying enough, it turns into something 
Beautiful. Turn kindness. It, turn it, in, it turns it into kindness. That's right. <laughs> but still, kids are whispering to each other about yes. chastity belts. It's not like it's not like that's gone away. Yeah, that's that's the bulk of what my kids come home talking about is chastity belts from but, their middle school. But I think I, I think I do feel strongly that we do not educate kids in this transition that happens when they're. You know, around junior high, their emotions fully come online, their their sexuality comes online, and adults are terrified. Adults do not want to deal. And so the only way that kids learn in this super crucial moment of their lives where they're like, what is sex? I want to know. Look at my body. They just learn it from one another because adults feel so uncomfortable. Adults have noped out. And so all you get is kids saying like, did you know that you can get pregnant from a toilet seat? Have you ever heard? You know, and I mean, junior high was... I wonder if Google is some kind of corrective to this. All our stories are pre-internet era. Maybe now everybody gets on Snopes and are like, no, actually, you can't get pregnant in a swimming pool. But there's so much porn online. That's a new kind of inaccuracy. Anytime you go online, and I'm you sure as a kid. kids are looking at middle schoolers looking at porn instead of Snopes? <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine, like, can I get pregnant from a swimming pool? <laughs> the number one thing you see is swimming pool stepmom. Right. Swimming pool full of <laughs> like there's there there's I can't <laughs> oh, I finally did it I finally I finally caused you to make a, a distasteful face I've just been waiting 205 <laughs> shows for you to say the word swimming pool full of uh you know you're, you're not wrong we, we did rename the middle schools oh what are they called oh they're called middle schools right yeah. and we put does that we, help <laughs> well the thing about middle schools is either you take a sixth grader who does not belong with eighth graders and force them into this weird place where that you know a sixth grader is should be in elementary school in my opinion or you take a ninth grader who should be getting who should be like on their knees cleaning the floor of their high school with a toothbrush like I was when I was in ninth grade Plebe. but suddenly they're suddenly they're, they're like kings of of junior high that that, that makes no sense either. At least they get their comeuppance the next year. My hot take is that uh, I mean, here's my modest proposal: you should not. It should not be age based. You Whoa. should have to. You should have to demonstrate certain traits of pubescence. Well, that's and the, that's how you advance. The problem is I couldn't grow a mustache until I was 19. Then you, I'd still be in sorry, junior high. Still be in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there's so there's a but your proposal, if I remember right, is that they should all be in the woods somewhere. That they should go build trail for the national park system for two years. It's mm-hmm. a it's a civilian conservation corps idea that I. But won't they just be out in the woods talking about? Uh, uh, weird sex stuff well the thing is out in the woods i feel like they're out of polite society they're not so there's not <laughs> you just don't want to see it well but the, but you know they're all going to be wearing scratchy wool there's no um there's not going to be the fashion problems that we have where kids sort of feel like out of step or i mean junior high i think is also where you pick up the the, the um shame shame and status consciousness and all these things and also, they would be working their young bodies by building trails like, in the national parks so that they would be strong. You're like some 1910 scoutmaster. <laughs> of course, they will have no impure thoughts. They will be working their bodies. There will be acoustic guitar at night around the campfire <laughs> and then lights out at nine. Uh, will they wear chastity belts? No, because I have... To keep the self-abuse down? I've come to understand that chastity belts do not... Um, do not function as we as we were all told when we were in junior high. They're not actually. They're not actually like. Well, Dr. Rubin claimed that this was a, you know, a real historical thing that in in the Middle Ages, knights would go off to the Crusades and would not trust their wife at home, or or fathers would be 
obsessed with their daughter's virginities. And buckle them into some kind of steel cage with like spikes that pointed so that if someone were to put something through the hole that it right. would. It's so like, you have to grapple with some logistical things if you're if you're a seventh grader designing a chastity belt in, right. in his trapper keeper. You don't want to kill her, I you, you don't want to kill the person in the chastity right. belt. Right. You need there are certain Bodily functions that need to be allowed. Yeah, let's at, let's just say it at, for what it is. You have to poo. You have to poop. You got to pee. You got to yeah. menstruate. If you're uh, a woman in a chastity belt, right? Um, and yet, there's got to be protection against all kinds of sexual congress. And you're using medieval technology and material science, which means you've got a blacksmith. You're showing a <laughs> scroll to a blacksmith saying, "Can you do this, <laughs> dumb Kevin? Can you make this?" And he's like, "Oh, uh, the holes be spiked, uh, my lord. I, I can be done." <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you're living in a in, on Saint Martin in a pirate colony, that's what it would sound like. <laughs> no, no, Kevin's from Yorkshire, I think, in this uh, example. Dr. Rubin mentioned that these would have a screen for urination because if, you, if you're picturing some kind of screen door, again, that doesn't help for poop. It would, I guess it's good for straining out the corn kernels, but but it it uh, it, uh, it sounds very difficult to clean. <laughs> Extreme, extremely unhygienic. Yeah, the person would be dead of some de- dread infection. Sepsis, right? Yeah, dead of sepsis in like three days tops. <laughs> and uh, in Dr. Rubin's description, there's a large padlock. So right. the 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 uh, the jealous knight or or Lord Liegeman. Lord Liegeman. Lord Liegeman himself, the father, <laughs> can keep the key squirreled away somewhere. Now, this is something that I've always, um, from a very uh, early age of adulthood, I realized that the last thing you wanted to find out about your locksmith was that they were a coke addict, <laughs> right? Like you don't want a, you don't want a, a a cokehead locksmith because they have the power of locks. He can get into every house within a mile of that Fred Meyer. Right. So the so what the knights weren't thinking is that their greatest threat, the greatest threat to the to the chastity of their of their betrothed were blacksmiths. Exactly. A blacksmith, if they can put it on, they can take it off. And then the knight's gone on a crusade for what, five years? How long are they gone on Crusades? 15 years? I mean, it would take years just to get to the Levant. Right. And that, that whole time, the blacksmith and, well, the, and, yeah. and, and your and your, uh, and your is, princess are cavorting. This is like, this is like a, a three-hour errand tops, <laughs> is finding a guy who can either break into the lock or just smash open the lock. Right. Right? And that's the premise of the Woody Allen sketch. In, in, in the movie, he's, you know, Woody plays kind of a, you'll be shocked to hear, a nervous... Mm-hmm. Unattractive court jester who is also a hit with the the, the buxom ladies, right? Uh, weirdly, the oddly young ladies. Uh-huh. He doesn't adopt any of them in the movie, right? Just um, a, a movie full of Mira Sorvinos, exactly. Whatever the nineteen seventy two version of, of Mira Sorvino is, and in the sketch, you know, the knight goes off leaving his wife locked up, but Woody is a jester who manages to, you know, who's trying a and a lockpick. He's, he tries a, a series of tools. He steals a halberd from a knight, a knight in shining armor, and you know he's just smashing at the lock with a series of weapons. Finally, he gets it off right as the uh, husband or father, father comes, the king comes home, and he gets the thing relocked with his hand in it. So he's literally, you know, walking around behind her with his hand in the cookie jar. It, you know, it, the thing writes itself. Yeah, it sure does. It's interesting that all these scenarios. I was just thinking about this. Are uh, are oddly relevant today. These are still tropes in our 
culture. The uh, these are still types. The man who goes off to war, the nervous and, jester, not the nervous <laughs> jester so much, but the dad who the conservative dad who's weirdly obsessed with his daughter's purity. Right, that is, is certainly a whole, that's a whole a, culture. It really is a trip. Have you seen those photographs of, the, of dads posing with their teenage daughters where their where their dad is strapped with some machine gun and mm-hmm. standing on his front porch like mess with my daughters but it's not but it doesn't have any caption or anything it's just like implied like like here's my daughter and here's the gun that will kill you if you think about my daughter right here's my fan then it's like taken like a family portrait like something that you would frame over the mantle except dad has a machine gun and i'm not from that part of the country so i'm this is all just uh, Actually, orientalism for me well that's right but, i guess that's true but uh <laughs> the the dad and the daughter often have matching purity rings they Aww. have they have given vow, marriage like vows to each other mm, not weird of, of yeah which is not weird at all no. of, of fidelity Super and so normal. forth I mean, you and I both have daughters. Do you, are, do you find yourself afflicted by these? Uh... Uh, no, I just hope that she lives a long and happy life. Yeah, this can't be innate because I don't have any of this like just red hot fury that I cannot control at the mere idea that somebody would date my daughter. I, I just don't. I have no access to it. So I, in high school, <clears throat> I went to pick up my friend Mary. I was taking her to a cotillion dance, and Mary's dad. Uh, was doc and it's Dr. Mary's dad to you. Uh, he was my dad's cardiologist, but he was also kind of a legendary figure in our neighborhood, which was a neighborhood full of legendary figures. I mean, my next door neighbor kept a, a pair of float plane floats in his yard all all winter. That's a different kind of legend than being a a very good cardiologist. But Dr. Dr. Mary's dad, I showed up at the house, and Mary and I were just good friends. Not I was I, I didn't have any. You had no designs. I had no night. designs on Mary. Uh, and I showed up at the house and he greeted me at the front door, carrying a, a highball glass, just filled to overflowing with brown liquor, and walked me upstairs, sat me down on the couch. He sat down in his chair, and proceeded to go back to work on the shotgun that he was cleaning slash dismantling. While talking to me about what our plans were for that night, With, and he was he was drunk, like steaming drunk, and working on this gun while I sat in my little with my corsage on my lap in his living room. That was a little bit Alaska and a little bit mid eighties, but I've had that. I've actually had the experience of dad with gun, um, saying like, "So what are you got? What are your plans for tonight?" At least now, cliche people must know they are cliches. Maybe that guy would no longer do the gun because he'd seen it on The King of Queens yeah. or Everyone Loves Raymond or something. I don't know. I don't know. It feels a little bit – I mean, and he was a cardiologist, right? He wasn't like uh, – you, you would you would expect maybe a little bit better. But I mean, it's easy to make the punchline that there's something edible, edible about it. Yeah. That the dad has some kind of submerged uh, uh, feelings – for his weird protective feelings for his daughter. Right. And There's maybe a, that's true. I there know. are protective feelings for your daughter. And then there are weird protective feelings for your daughter. Uh, the other trope here, obviously is something we are, have been dealing with in this country since 2002 or so, which is tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of young men going off to war, right. leaving spouses behind. Right. And from what I understand on Facebook, they are not 100% faithful. Right. On either side. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the double standard in our culture means a lot of the memes are about some 
dolled up blonde with a caption that says husband on deployment, better look hot at the commissary. Right. But there are also all those wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful memes of, uh, returning soldiers being met at the airport with a oh. sign that says I've had access to your texts this whole time. And that's true. I'm yeah. thinking of the moment the wife is pregnant and it says like, it's a baby. And then the caption says 12 month deployment. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. all these things have been happening since time immemorial. Yes. And they're all, so they're all still relevant. And I right. think it's true. I mean, there's no, I, I looked this up. There's no research on infidelity in military families, but these are people who got married Young, perhaps too young, and then immediately went away. Went away, right. and um, you know, given the awfulness of our culture, we tend to shame the unfaithful wife more than the military husband. But obviously, any support young our guy troops, on an support under- our troops. Will you? <laughs> when I lived in <laughs> when I lived in Korea, we lived less than a mile from the army base on a hill that stretched up kind of above the big junky shopping street where you could buy knockoff. Uh, you know, Gucci old, old Navy and Banana Republic. So exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some stuff that was made there and got fell off a truck or factory right. seconds and some just counterfeit stuff. And then from there, there was a hill that would rise up to actually where some of the nice hotels were the Hyatt and so forth. Um, but on that hill, that's where we lived. My family had an apartment there for, I don't know, five years or so. Was and it Gangnam? Were you in Gangnam? It was not in Gangnam, which oh, is, that would be the nice Gangnam. part of town. That would be where the actual wealthy Koreans right. shopped and went to they had the, real Gucci bags. Brand spanking new Pizza Hut. Gucci bags that stayed on the truck. <laughs> right. This is just where the dumb GIs went and no Korean would ever want to go. And that hill must have some name in Seoul geography, but everyone called it Hooker Hill. Oh, uh, Hooker Hill. Because that was where the the guys would go, the unaccompanied young kids would go of a Friday night. They went up to buy a, a, a gift for their wives and they got waylaid along the way. They didn't mean to. No. They, no, they, they were looking for presents. They're just innocent farm boys who yeah. didn't know what they were getting into. Anyway, I mean, the infidelity rate in the culture is probably something along the lines of 15 to 8% by many estimates. And Say they, what now? Like that's, maybe that's for the length of the marriage. That's the number of- Is is how much? 15 to 18%. 15 to 18%. And I've there's been no work on military families because this is not something the DOD is eager to talk about. Sure, of course But not. plenty of people estimate that it's, you know, it might be something on the order of 50, 60, 70%. Those are, those are stressful marriages. One more reason not to join the military. Well, one more reason not to start a land, two land wars in Asia at the same time. Do not, do not, uh, do not go gently into this good night. No, do not get married before you... Get deployed. Here's what you should do. Join the military. Buy a Mustang. Are you guys paying attention? Number two, join buy a Mustang. Buy a Mustang. Go on deployment and then get married when you are when you've when you've achieved some rank. Because one thing we know about speaking to a future tens of thousands of years hence is that uh, there will still be Always. American intervention going on Always. in uh, the Middle and Near East. <laughs> Always. And whatever, you know, however your military ranks uh, work in the future, I'm sure there will still be stripes because that's because it makes perfect sense, right? You got to have stripes. And so, what, what would wait, be the fun without stripes? Wait until you get two stripes before you get married. I recommend you wait until you're a sergeant. Maybe the future wars are not in the Middle and Near East because all the fossil fuels gone. Maybe the wars are all where there's solar and hydro. Everybody's so, fighting over the Sahara Desert and so Arizona Nevada. and Gobi Desert. Yeah. yeah, everybody's fighting at Burning Man. <laughs> uh, Burning Man would be so much more interesting if it was like a just a giant stick fight, like a hippie stick fight. 
Uh, They're all yeah. in that big circle, and then I think it wouldn't be hard to start. I feel like two guys. <laughs> if you and I wanted to go to Burning Man this year, we could turn the whole thing into just a big stick fight. Because you just do the thing where, like, you see it in movies where you poke somebody and they turn around, and they say they just whack the guy behind them because you hide. Right, that's and, great. And then it just goes out of control. Anyway, Doctor Rubin did not invent the idea of the chastity belt with this bestseller and then accidental hit movie adaptation, but he popularized. He certainly popularized it, and it's an idea that had been just routine among academics and historians, not to mention just in po- the soup of popular culture, as you say, for at least a hundred, for about a hundred years. You know, that's when the, that's when the earliest academic writing about chastity belts happened. And they, they, they just take it for granted that this was a not uncommon thing. There are woodcuts showing a, a husband holding a key while the wife is wearing some awful clanking thing. And uh, there's examples in a dozen European museums from Venice to Vienna to Germany, you, you can sit and look at these odd metal contraptions. Some of them have silk or leather straps, but some of them are just 100% metal. And sure, therefore, I've seen them. Therefore, would chafe. So in, That's not a part of your body you want to be rubbing against cast iron. You're saying that in the mid-19th century, people started writing about these as historical uh, artifact. That's when the first good academic work was done. But in fact, the the tradition of just assuming that uh, the chastity belt culture existed goes back further than that. Like in Diderot's, you know, groundbreaking encyclopedia, it's clear that Enlightenment thinkers took uh, the chastity belt for granted. And there's there's reasons for this. There's kind of biblical language about you know girding up your loins with with virtue and so forth, mm-hmm. and that gets. Virtue and so forth. Right. I guess what, that's what Jesus calls it. When I wake when I wake up in the morning, I always say that: gird your loins with virtue. Gird then, your loins. Then with how virtue. come you don't? How come every time I get to your house, your loins are not yet girded, and you have to run, <laughs> have to run to your girding girding closet to put something on? Ken is referring to the fact that I'm only wearing pants. What would you say? One in four <laughs> times that you arrive at the at one the, in four is aspirational at, at, at the this bunker. Point. <laughs> And in the middle, and then early the uh, the early Middle Ages, early Christian thinkers kind of expanded this biblical language about girding up your loins to to a metaphor. You know, there there should be a girdle of chastity. And of course, they're thinking about women because they're all men and they're not great on these issues. Early Christian, you mean in five hundred or yeah, nine hundred? Like, say from like five hundred to a thousand. Okay. You know, Bernard of Clairvaux, for example, writes about how women must wear a girdle of chastity. Yes. Now this is, uh, and, and Homer, the ancient Greeks, in fact, used often the same language. Uh, you know, I guess it's normal if you're one of these purity-obsessed guys to imagine some kind of uh, symbolic yeah, a, thing a, hovering a, around your beloved's waist that, right, a magic that ensures, girdle. ensures access only to you within the bonds licensed by Zeus or Jesus as appropriate. It's a magic flute, except... No, Panties. you have the magic. <laughs> so, so it's a tr- it's a symbolic trope, um, and so writers, Enlightenment writers, and then up until the early modern era, writing about this idea ha- have a, a plethora of quotes to choose from. Um, but you're saying that these are metaphors rather than referring to real it's, devices. It's, it's clear now, looking back, that that Homer is not referring to a clanking thing made of chains and plates. Uh, the 8th century Greek writer Damascius quotes the philosopher Theosebius, saying that uh, he gave his, his, his uh, beloved a, a ring of continence, and he wore a ring, and, and it was just a symbol that if, 
Although they were together now, they could live a chaste domestic life. Oh, it was a purity ring. It's basi- but they're married. I see. Either like either she's just. Uh, well, wait, isn't a it isn't, isn't, a, isn't a wedding band a purity mm-hmm. ring or a chastity belt? Yeah, it's a very literal one in the case of a lot of marriages. I think <laughs> it burns. It's it's for in the in many cases it's a chastity it's a chastity ring even for the members of the marriage even within the marriage. I should I should point out that Ken is fiddling with his wedding ring. He just in, his, in a very golem like fashion. His, his hand went immediately to it. Like uh, I feel like Frodo. It's like it's ca- it's calling to me, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, Theosibius and his wife had decided to live a chaste domestic life. She, either she had a headache or maybe he's gay. Or, oh, I see. Within their marriage. Yes, exactly. Oh. And once they realized kids were not in the picture, he gave her this this ring of continence. And this is often used by people writing about uh, chastity belts. They say, see, there were gadgets back then. But if you read the actual quote in context, no, it's it's a... It's a symbolic thing. Maybe he even had a ring made. Maybe he didn't. I gave my love a cherry. (laughs) In this case, yes, she might have the cherry. Uh, There is one book from the 14th century, the earliest site, that seems to be about a literal chastity belt. Uh, A writer, a German writer named Conrad Kaiser wrote a book called Bella Fortis, which Mm -hmm. I think means strong in war. And it's a military handbook. It's got... It's, it's like Jane's. It's an actual guide to, you know, trebuchets and uh, halberds and whatever the weapons of we war were back then. We absolutely do an omnibus on Jane's. Yes. yes. Yeah. I can't, believe, that, I can't believe you haven't. Put that on my list right now. Since you've probably got a shelf of them somewhere. <laughs> uh, and this book does have an illustration of a chastity belt. And so this is the uh, this is the illustration that you was used well into the 20th century to show medieval chastity belts. Now the one pictured there is we've said that chastity belts are kind of impractical and unhygienic. This right. one's completely impossible. This one has no holes at all. It ha- it has <laughs> joints, so it seems like it's been designed for her pleasure. It's designed for her comfort like it's right. it's it's multiple not, pieces that are hinged. Maybe not for her pleasure, but but, <laughs> right. <laughs> but so it's like a it's like a steel diaper. It's a steel diaper that literally has no outlet. So it's hard to imagine that this woman, this poor woman, is not going to be dead in in thirty six hours. I mean, you could you could put someone in a steel diaper for a day, let's say. Yes, right. I mean, for it could be a thing where it's like I'm running out. I, I have to go to a meeting. I'll be back in two hours. I hope you do not have first person stories about the longest you could <laughs> safely put your beloved in a metal diaper. I, I don't want to hear them. No. Okay. Good. Uh, and his caption says, this is an apron worn by Florentine ladies made of iron and hard to be locked from within. Hard to imagine how you would lock it from within, but okay. Locked from within. That would be a heck of a, a Tijuana floor show if somebody could actually do that, but okay. So this is the illustration that gets you. See the medieval knights and, and, uh, and it, it accords with what we know about chauvinism of that time. Right. So as the modern era advances into into feminism of various stripes, it totally agrees with what we think of your average medieval guy. Right. He's an idiot. He's a brute. He doesn't care about his wife. He's overly possessive. Well, and also women are chattel. Women are property. Right. You literally can chain them up and it's okay because you're you're reducing them to their sexuality. and the funny thing is, if you read this Bella Fortis in context, the whole chapter this is from has all kinds of impossible stuff. It's clearly tongue-in-cheek. For whatever reason, he has a chapter of phony baloney Rube Goldberg stuff. Uh-huh. Like there's, a, there's one about um, 
kind of a pontoon. Maybe it's like your neighbor's airplane floats that you can put around you kind of like an inner tube for a an aquatic military attack. And, oh, yeah. the, and the caption says, and of course you would inflate this by farting into it. Right. So the thing is full of... I do have some anecdotes about that, and it's very difficult to... <laughs> is it to, about your neighbor? Very difficult to inflate uh, an inner tube by far. Futurelings, if your plane is crashing, <laughs> the vest will not appear to inflate. Do not attempt to break wind into it. So, so what's happened here is that a, um, <clears throat> that a, a satirical drawing... A series of cartoons and, and funny dirty randy medieval guys have been misinterpreted but it was it was decontextualized by later writers and offered as evidence of a culture that didn't exist that is actually the case it turns out there is no good firsthand evidence of a chastity belt ever having existed in the middle ages and no no documentation of any such thing and anything you could interpret that way upon review, seems to be either metaphor or satire. The chastity belt is seems impractical because it is. Uh-huh. There's not a thing. Right. The, the ones in museums perhaps are Renaissance recreations of Renaissance people thinking, well, they used to have these. Let's, let's have one in my collection of old-timey stuff. Uh, it's, uh, the, the myth in the 19th century expands around a particular purported inventor of the chastity belt, Francesco II, of Carrara. Yes, that sounds like someone who would invent a chastity belt, doesn't it? He was a Duke of Padua, perhaps the, I think the last Duke of Padua of his dynasty, and a famously cruel man uh, who you know had a base, a cellar full of torture devices and a, a, a harem, a seraglio full of women that he would force into these awful depravities, including right. an iron maiden. In, yes, exactly, including an iron maiden for your nether parts, mm. and. Uh, there was even one found in his collection. The problem is this is all filtered through his enemies. History is written by the victors, and the Venetians hated this guy. Right. And so even though even when they had him brutally killed and had all his sons imprisoned and then had them brutally killed, they got to write the story, and it's like, oh, this guy was basically Bluebeard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy was probably perfectly nice. Right, or at least at least not any more depraved right. than anyone than any else. Than other Duke of Padua. <laughs> he was like at the 50th percentile for Dukes of Padua. Uh, but uh, as a result of his political enemies spreading all this stuff, and, and I think at one point there was one of these Renaissance reenactments of a, recreations, replicas, of a chastity belt placed among his awful torture stuff, uh-huh. the word became, ah, this was an invention of the evil Francesco II. Right. Isn't that just like him? Uh, and, and other stories were told, you know, and then Henry II made one for Catherine de' Medici, you know, any famous villain of history. Right, you find a chastity belt among their things. And you want to create a, yeah, and, 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 when, you, and when one of these replicas appears, you want to have a fun provenance for it. So you're like, oh, who knows, but that this belonged to Henry II right. or, you know. Uh, it's got to be a celebrity one. But one presumes that if Catherine de' Medici was locked in a chastity belt, she would have said something to someone else. It would have entered into the, <laughs> the contemporary record, record at the, right. I mean, Forsooth, <laughs> I am locked in a chastity belt," said Catherine. "Quoth Catherine." Um, and then a lot of these claims get heated up by Orientalism because word right. has reached classical Europe and then into medieval Europe about. Some of the awful practices of uh, right the Turks. Cer- yeah, exactly. And uh, these are certainly exaggerated, but as we know from stories of so-called female circumcision in Africa today, there are cultures that practice genital mutilation. Right. And if they're not 
the most enlightened cultures. It, these are often practiced on women. And, uh, and so these stories of, uh, of the Turks abusing the, the yeah, private it, parts of their women filter well, up into Europe. Or even, even more titillating the, the, uh, the, Western European women captured by the Barbary pirates exactly. and subjected to some haremization. Sc- screeching, no, 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 oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. You know, this, this, this kind of awful idea that, uh, that it's, it, you know, this male fantasy that, you know, they'd probably be into it, so it's okay for me to <laughs> look, at my, look at my engravings of this. <laughs> uh, and so this kind of Orientalism creates these even more elaborate ideas that maybe some of these awful Francesco types sewed up they're women, literally. Huh. Uh, also, not healthy. No, again, not but, medically possible. But you know, and, and, and I think that probably is predicated on an era of people not really understanding <laughs> right. how the female body works. Nobody had ever actually, <laughs> nobody read our bodies ourselves. <laughs> You're exactly right, because there's all these impossible suggestions. You know, in a lot of these kind of naughty you know, Rabelaisian stories, the woman figures out a way to, uns- you know, gets her, her surgeon to unsew herself, right. has a great time, and then... Figures out how a zipper works. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a zipper. Uh, in other cases, um, the evil guy uses a series of piercings to attach the lock from the chastity belts to literally his wife. Good great ah i know right the, the the stories are where the depravity lies none of this happened but it's but people are it's like a bunch of fanfic that's really you have troubling. to think that that's a a real impulse behind it just judging by the kinds of fetishism that exists in our day you know these kind of sadomasochistic tendencies and bondage and dominance and submissive those those even when they weren't subcultures those must have been impulses in certain weirdos or 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 i hate to kink shame francesco the <laughs> second of, your of carrara <laughs> <laughs> but when it wasn't okay to express that you'd have to you know pretend to be outraged about the idea of all these bolts and metal near my beloved elizabeth well, i need to run i need to go all you have to do is listen to any republican member of congress <laughs> talk about uh sexuality in any way shape or form to know that you know, most of them have, uh, or not not most of them, I, I, I don't want to slander them, but a certain proportion of them have a very wide stance uh, in public restrooms that are extremely, like, you know, uh, puritanical in their public pronouncements. And in some cases are writing laws about, you know, and the unfamiliarity with anatomy you're talking about, writing right. laws as if you can criminalize ectopic or reimplant ectopic pregnancy. Yeah, that's right. You got to take that ectopic pregnancy and put it to good use. Right. So maybe they are, uh, you know, Puritans in the streets and Libertines in the, in the jute sheets. In the one sheet with a hole cut in it. <laughs> there you go. Um, the funny thing is a lot of these historians that have given us this myth were not historians at all. You know, these lengthy monographs about the chastity belt, it's just based on some dope seeing it in a museum in, Here we in, go. in Paris. Yep. Um, and uh, so you got amateur historians messing everything up. Some uh, a guy in uh, 1889, a guy named uh, Pockinger writes about uh, a, a grave that he saw dug up in Austria, where uh, you know some beautiful uh, you know the the the, cor- the cadaver still has beautiful blonde hair and beautiful silks. It's apparently a wealthy noble woman of some kind, and she's wearing some kind of metal contraption. Uh, about her midsection. The contraption that killed her. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody assumes it's a surgical thing, you know? Uh, we don't know about this thing, but it must be a, uh, it may, she, she must have broken, died of a broken hip, or, you know, this uh-huh. is some kind of surgical attempt to fix a medical problem. But no, Dr. Packinger, knowing all the, the 
you know, with a keen eye and a dirty mind is like, aha, you know, she died. They, they buried her in her chastity belt. And so this goes in the literature and this kind of claim is repeated right. uncritically. Right. There's a British guy named Dingwall. <laughs> of course. Who I can imagine. Is, Every British guy is named Dingwall. Who you can imagine is kind of the most effete, ineffectual right. guy. He reads this 14th century love poem uh, in which uh, purportedly, I think a female narrator says, I alone uh, hold the lock to my golden box mm-hmm. and you alone hold the key oh. and i hope that you don't lose that key my lord for with that key and my lock such pleasure we could see you know it's sure. this kind of a thing i've heard this poem <laughs> you've written this poem. <laughs> <laughs> you've written this in a trapper keeper <laughs> anyway it's very clear to us what's going on in this poem but to to dingwall this t- early 20th century british guy at the club He's like, oh, she's talking about chastity belts. An actual lock and key. There's, she's been locked up, and she really hopes this guy doesn't lose the key. Because if he loses the key in the Crusades, boy, what they're going to have to they're going to have to get the jaws of life in there. I've got the key. <laughs> I've got the key. Uh, without at risk of offering a hot take, ah, uh, that's what I want. An, an unpopular hot take. It seems that this is another example of. The uh, a tendency to orientalize the past, mm. where we're 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 so um, we're so quick to imagine that people who are just people, just like we are, who have the same emotions and the same minds, but because same genes, because they're a couple of hundred years older than we are, we can attribute to them all manner of strange superstition and implausible impractical behavior and attitudes that that um in some cases right you do see evidence like oh people used to burn witches or whatever but really not that often and that's not really like it wasn't an epidemic of witch burning the weird stuff was the exception not the rule and and, and, and in many cases the weird stuff didn't exist didn't exist it was at invented all. by slavering renaissance Bad historians, right? Like it, it's a game of telephone from the past, but we're, but, but you know, our, our, even our immediate forebears, we think lived these lives of complete ignorance, when in fact, not only were they just as smart as we are, but like all the evidence was there. There were people, there were people that understood how women pee. In 1200, <laughs> there were only six or seven of them, <laughs> you know, like, but occasionally they got together to look at engravings. Uh, it's not, it's not, um, it's not the past wasn't as, as foreign as we make it seem. I think that's a good general rule just to assume that people of other eras, because they shared all our chromosomes and drives and basic emotions and, and curiosity. And sure. I mean, do you think? I'm thinking about cases like the the mysticism of the past. You know, people would, I guess with the benefit of different belief systems, people would have visionary experiences that seem comparatively rare today. That seems like an example where just being in a different culture does affect something about your brain and how you see the world, right? So there are cases like that where we think, I don't know why people are not seeing uh, Mars and Minerva today. But, right. but they're not. But I feel like it, I, uh, this is the sort of people's history of the world. But but what we know about the past is uh, – is uh, what we know of it is from art and what was written down by whoever it was that was prominent enough that their work survived until now. But your average 
yeah. human couple who lived in a thatched roof and shack and or you know or home and who worked at, at some craft or in the fields had kids had kids and raised them to adulthood and they all lived together in one room had a drink on a weekend they they knew as much as we do you know uh, about that stuff about yeah. that stuff and they were just as curious about one another's butts you know like it wasn't <laughs> it's not like everybody was living the 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 weird cons, cons, uh, conscripted lives of yeah. lords and ladies who who were immortalized in tapestries. And the bias in the tapestries is not just for, um, you know, the bias also happens, it's not just for who writes the histories. It goes later as the game of telephone progresses. Right. And it's the Orientalism you're talking about. It's the... Uh, it's the fascination with the macabre and the bizarre and also that the, distorts our idea of what what ideas get transmitted. And the tapestries themselves were often propaganda devices. They were often, they weren't, they weren't, uh, authentic storytelling as much as they were, as you say, um, the victor wrote the screed, but also, you know, the church signed off on it. Like they were meant to not just inform, but to instruct and to create a certain order, create an order. Right. So we're looking at, we're, we're, we're listening to a game of telephone where all we're reading is chick tracks. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a game of telephone, but like it started with the Pope. <laughs> 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 so what do you think are the myths of our age, the things that we kind of joke about in uh, in cartoons and whatnot, although, you know, we know it's kind of silly, that in a thousand years, a future society might think was real in well, the same I, way that we felt for chastity belts? You know, the, the, I, think, I think it's not even a future society. I think that there are, in our culture, we have a tendency to think that anything that happened before 1960 – happened in a world of pure patriarchy where women had no voice of any kind and it was a completely racist society where no one appreciated that uh you know the the general rights of man and i think that that too is like a it's a way of orientalizing even the recent past even what, even if those are trends the yeah no culture is monolithic right not but trends that are that even then i think maybe reflected a a 10 year period, right? Like the immediate post-war and are very prone to imposed orders. Right. Like, you know, in a time when there's a top down, you know, thinking about all this Confederate nostalgia, you know, the Confederate flag was just from 1870 to 1920. It was nothing, you know, right. it, it had to be imposed by some guy being like, Hey, what if we started flying these again as a symbol of segregationist policy? Yeah. Right. The Confederate, uh, the, the whole confederatization of the, of the town square of, of um, small town Southern America happened in 1925. That's bad uh, history, but but I, I think also like the Levitt the Levittown idea, conformist fifties, um, conformist fifties thing is uh, we look at it because we look at old magazine advertisements <laughs> right. of an aspirational yeah. Levittown. Look at that wife with her perfect hair <laughs> squeezing orange juice, and women in 1952 were like, oh my god, oh that magazine article is really. Hit me where it counts. I do assume that, you know, in thousands of years, the, you know, the audience we're talking to probably thinks that we uncritically believed in zombies, for example, right. or Bigfoot, like things that we just spend a ton of our culture kind of winking about and going into in great detail uh, because it, you know, whether sexual or not, it, it, it responds to some propulsive urge in us. Although I think we're seeing, and I, again, hot take on its way. Incoming. Get, get your get your everybody your, down uh, oven mitts out. 
<laughs> but uh, but we are creating a mythos right now in the in our like super fascination with fantasy and uh, superheroes and whatnot. A mythos that we're watching people actually sort of subscribe or adhere to. That who knows a hundred years from now whether or not there is a the, the it, it's already taking on the the trappings of a of of religion or a religiosity right that um at some point people th- might think we actually worship superman or at some point we might <laughs> and that concludes chastity belts entry 209.lv2113 certificate number 49406 in the omnibus Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era... And you're still seeing Facebook memes about hot commissary moms. You you almost certainly have been exposed to the contemporary chastity belt, uh, which is a thing, at least in my experience, that is used primarily on men. Oh, uh, there's right. a whole There's a whole universe uh, right now of male chastity... Belts that's part of the the subdom subdom, but also like the sissification culture and the cuckolding right. universe. Yeah, I guess we didn't mention. Um, I mean, this is the chastity belts. Medieval chastity belts is all about cuckoldry, and you know, fetishization of that is probably what's led to a lot of the lasting of the myth. Right, but nowadays it's all about putting men in belts, and the chastity a, a male chastity belt is one that has a little plastic uh, penis holster that prohibits it from be- c- becoming erect, right? It, it's it's curved Why are down. you asking me? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying... Ken, Ken you, you got six of these. Let me, let me tell you all about them. Uh, so it, it, you know, it kind of cups the whole... It's a, it's a athletic supporter, uh-huh. basically, except formed and I, I assume sized. Uh, and then you're... Once you're locked into it, you can't... And it and actually does lock with a tiny little padlock, but it's made out of uh, comfortable latex. Oh, or, that's nice. Uh, see, see, when the men are making it for themselves, they're like, "Let's use latex." <laughs> hey, now we when don't know who it made for it. Women, we don't know. Like... We don't know. They, <laughs> these may be all uh, female-owned firms, but there's a whole uh, internet. I mean, I'm sure Reddit it, uh, explodes with millions of posts of uh, of these sort of. Um, chastity devices that are keeping and you can only be unlocked by your mistress yeah or master sure and as appropriate right and you're being sort of kept in a state of well of of keptitude the uh 15th century benedictine monk trithemius wrote about a male chastity belt along these lines that was in use in monasteries oh it would just it would just crunch up your junk so much that uh there was no you know no you wouldn't want to do anything with it. You'd barely want to pee. I don't know. I don't know the the physiologies or genitalia of futurelings, but uh, but however you're built, I'm assuming that you have junk. Don't crunch it. <laughs> don't crunch your junk. I mean, unless you're doing it as a like. Uh, Are you kink shaming the? Uh, no, I mean I'm the, saying the future polyps. I'm saying don't crunch it long term. I'm <laughs> saying absolutely crunch it in the short term. I highly recommend it. But the long term crunching, don't crunch. They may be. They may be asexual. Treat your junk well. I presume. I presume that uh, 
we're less than 50 years away from evolving past complete asexuality <laughs> yeah, from, from <laughs> evolving past our, our, our gross earthly drives. Well, but that, that could a also, higher state. It could be not asexuality, but, but everyone could be, uh, we could all have every genitalia, right? There could be, you, you could have junk alongside the other junk. Crunk. Everybody, everybody's, everything's, everything's junk when you, when you really drill down. <laughs> everything's junk if you're into it. That's what I, that's what I always say. Well, anyway, you can uh, send us all the pictures of your chastity devices to uh, Ken at <laughs> omnibusproject.com. Uh, but uh, you can find us online at Omnibus Project or at Ken Jennings at John Roderick. Um, I'm also on Instagram where you could be probably already posting your chastity devices. Um, you can email us both at the omnibus project at gmail.com. Only Ken will read it. And he has, you've completely stopped forwarding me emails. They're they're never to you anymore. Please write John. He feels left out. I will post photos of my chastity device, which is a 2017 Chevy volt. (laughs) I thought it was your haircut. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The perfect crime. Um, our, Fan group on Omnibus Futurelings, uh, oh, I'm sorry, our fan group, The Omnibus Futurelings on Facebook, will really, I'm sure, agonize over whether or not to post chastity-related material because they're... They're well-mannered. They're well-mannered and they, they don't want to um, offend or hurt anyone that's on the site, but they also love this type of thing. So it will be, it will be an agonizing experience for them. The Reddit group uh, that supports Omnibus is much more at liberty to uh, to post whatever weird stuff they find because they're a Reddit. They're on Reddit. Um, you can mail us actual things, although... Please, let, please nothing mentioned in this episode. <laughs> let me encourage you not uh, <laughs> to send us anything related to chastity at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And... If it be, be, behooves you. If it befits you. If it befuddles you. At your behest. Uh, please contribute to the production of this show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject, where uh, donors to the show receive bonus content in the form of um, a show we record called The Addenda. And I think that's what it's called. The Addenda? Have we ever called it that? Sure. It's called The Addenda. And uh, it's available to Patreon contributors, where we read your mail and uh, work through all the mistakes that we've made, and and other like like in our lives, and in, in like some like, cases, like all, the, all the interpersonal and emotional <laughs> mistakes we've made, <laughs> some of the mistakes that cannot be corrected. So that's Patreon.com/slash Omnibus Project. If it's your kink to just sit by idly and watch other people donate, that's not okay. Uh, well, unless. Unless you are having your slaves uh, donate to us or your family members. Slave. Make an uncomfortably (laughs) large omnibus donation. Yes, mistress. Listeners from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe that eventually swallows us up may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, if Mars and Minerva allow, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>